Hello friends! Welcome to Feeling This Life. We're a family support podcast that dives deep into the triumphs, challenges, and strategies that are part of the lives of those who care for children with blindness and visual impairments. I'm Paige Maynard, and I'm an early interventionist and teacher of the visually impaired at VIPS, Visually Impaired Preschool Services. And I'm Dr. Kathy Smith, Director of Research at Anchor Center for Blind Children in Denver, Colorado. I'm Jenny Castanier. I am the Family Services Coordinator at VIPS, and my youngest child has a visual impairment. This season, we chose the book Thunderdog by Michael Hinkson. Michael Hinkson was in the Twin Towers on 9-11 with his guide dog, Roselle. I read this book several years ago and loved it. I really appreciated the advice it gave for interacting with someone with a visual impairment. I liked hearing his perspective on growing up and strategies he used to overcome obstacles. Shortly after I read it, I asked my parents and my husband to read it because I admired how his family raised him and started helping him build independence from a young age. Yeah, I thought it was a great book too. It's very, very readable. Also, a little emotional. Be prepared for that if you want to read this book because Mr. Hinkson and his dog were in the Twin Towers and came down. So, pretty exciting. This is Dr. Kathy, and I want to talk about Mr. Hinkson's diagnosis. So, his visual diagnosis was called RLF at the time when he was born and now is called retinopathy of prematurity and it was something that started happening in the 40s and really increased in the 50s so much so that all of a sudden things needed to change in the field of visual impairment there were so many children Whereas in the 40s and in the beginning of the 50s, residential schools for the blind, which were academically based, was pretty much mandatory. If you lived within 50 miles of that school, that is where your child went to school. Um, But now we had not only so many more children with blindness, but that there was enough to justify a teacher to come to local schools. And also, the families that were having these children were middle to upper class families, and they were parents with influence, and they didn't want to send their children 50 miles away to the uh, residential school. They wanted their children to go to school in their neighborhood. So they began to advocate. This is really a story of advocacy. It also makes me think about, since I work in early intervention, how the 40s and 50s were a big time for helping some of those services to get started in the school system. But it wasn't even until the 80s that early intervention became a thing. And I'm thinking about how obviously Mike did not get early intervention and his family was not supported with that type of service because it didn't exist yet. And they were able to accomplish so much. I'm thinking about the story of his dad going to the library and looking up law so that his guide dog could come on the school bus for him uh, with him but just to think about 
what it would have been like maybe if they would have been able to get that support early on from a teacher of the visually impaired in their home or maybe even he shared how he had not even really visually impaired until he was in his late childhood and how that maybe could have impacted him so I thought that that was really interesting yeah, we certainly know that uh, positive adult mentors make a huge difference for kids as they're growing up. When you're a parent and all of a sudden you have to learn about what is that world like and it's helpful to learn that, oh, there's great functional adults and you can have a happy, wonderful life and still have a visual impairment. What do you think, Jenny? I think that's exactly why I liked the book so much mm-hmm. as a parent of a child with a visual impairment that this person who's so successful, he had a normal upbringing. He wasn't anyone that was extremely wealthy or had connections that could help him get where he is and achieve all these things. But it was just an ordinary family that loved their son and just decided that he wasn't going to be treated differently than anyone else in their home. They really just refused those barriers for him and did what they could to help him along the way. And I'm appreciative for those families that put in all that work. I'm grateful that I wasn't one of them and I had early intervention. (laughs) I can't can't tell you how much comfort that brought me to talk to someone who knew, I knew, knew what they were talking about. But just to see this, and I think it helped even my parents just to read it and see that it's going to be okay. My favorite story is the one where he's riding a bike and his neighbor comes out and complains to the dad and says something about your son who's riding this bike and he's blind and and the dad says what did he hit your car and the neighbor says no and the dad's like well then what's the problem? I just love that so I just think that this is just really good to show parents that there is hope for what you might think of as a normal or successful life. I imagine his family helped him to develop some of those skills. Yep, I'm going to do all of these things that I want to do and I'm not going to let anything stop me because some of the language that he uses frequently in the book is one of his guide dog commands for Roselle, which is just the word forward. And so whenever they're exiting the World Trade Center, he tells her forward, but it's almost like he's telling himself forward. And he's telling the other people around him, just go forward, just take that next step. It's gonna be okay, we're gonna get through this. And so I imagine that the seed of that was probably planted with his family whenever they brought him home and received that first diagnosis that we're just gonna keep moving forward and we're gonna keep on having high expectations for our kid and we know that he is going to be moving forward if we just take that next step so i think that's good advice for everyone that just taking that next step and just keeping on moving forward keep encouraging yourself just take one more step you might not know what the end has but you know that next step is going to bring you closer to where you want to be and your potential. I think that that was really encouraging and I think that not only him talking about it but he shows it as well. What I didn't realize until reading through this book the second time was that in this situation in some ways 
he was better off than the people he was with. And that was because of his lack of vision. He talks about being one of the first to realize that a plane had hit the building because he could smell the jet fuel. He says, what if the power goes out? There's no panic yet. New Yorkers are tough. But if everything goes dark, that could change. The irony is that if the power went out, Roselle and I would be fine. I think that sometimes we don't ever think that there could possibly be an advantage. But in that situation... Yeah, I remember him saying that after the Twin Towers, there were people who were asking him, how did you do this? How did you get through? And he was like, well, I had my calm, confident guide dog. But also, I think the two of us together have a can-do attitude. And I'm sure, like you said, Paige, that that came from his family. Uh, very young so encouraging you can do this we may have to sit and figure out how to do it but we will there's some really intense parts of the book but very good and I personally do not know a lot about the guide dog world so it was interesting to me to learn how important it is to have a good relationship with your guide dog and to have a well-trained guide dog and i think sometimes when we have little ones and we start talking to parents sometimes parents are like oh we're gonna get a lab so that she can have a guide dog and we have to sit back and go okay Let's talk about guide dogs <laughs> and what I do I know. Like kids immediately. Yeah. When they found out about him, can we get a guide dog? Right. No, you just want a dog. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thing. And there's nothing wrong with having a dog, but uh, it's very different than having a guide dog. So I think this is a great book to kind of get a sense of why it's important to have a well-trained, good guide dog and to have the skills to be able to work with one because it's a it's a job and you have to be old enough and responsible enough to to function with one do you all remember that story where he was talking about one of his previous guide dogs kept running him into a mailbox yes yes and (laughs) He had to go around the block multiple times to teach his dog to make sure that he was guiding him in the right way so that they would be able to avoid that obstacle. So I thought that was really interesting. Some people who are not going to be guide dog users, and either option is okay. Yes. But just to prepare yourself that every person who has a guide dog It's not that you have a a dog just pulling you around, getting you from one place to another. You're a team and you both have to learn together. You have to continue to train your guide dog because situations are going to be different all the time and you're always learning. So your child needs to, to learn a lot of those skills around being a good traveler before they have a guide dog. So working on a lot of things before then can be really, really important and keeping that in mind can be really smart. I thought it was really interesting how they compared blindness to being left-handed because there are lots of left-handed dissertation. I'm left-handed. Are either of you all left-handed? No. No. (laughs) Oh, okay, just me. I thought it was really interesting how they compared 
blindness to being left-handed. There are lots of things I experience as a left-handed person and obviously growing up as a left-handed person that were struggles. And I think some of the things that are similar between blindness and being left-handed, I thought it was interesting maybe to consider it in some ways a nuisance because the world is not designed for left-handed people. I mean, I didn't yeah. even know left-handed scissors existed until I was like a teen. <laughs> the world is designed for sighted people. So there's a little bit of a parallel there I thought was really interesting. Also, we learn alternative ways to do things. You know, there are things that I've learned to do right-handed or I was just thinking about examples today. Some things I don't even really think about that I do as a left-handed person. I write in a specific way, like getting ink all over my hand, like I tilt my paper in a certain way, I hold my pen a certain mm -hmm. way, where a right-handed person, that's not probably even on their radar at all. So I thought that was interesting. But then I also kind of want to get into the nuance of it too, because being left-handed and being blind are very different things, and I don't want to put any equivalents on my experience as a left-handed person to being blind. They're different. Blindness impacts development in really specific ways and more on a larger scale. I think it's important as we think about those things to consider that, you know, your own story is your own story and it's just as dangerous to think of blindness just as a nuisance in the world wasn't designed for blind people and we've just got to figure out how to be able to adapt things. I think that completely having that idea is dangerous, but then also completely having the idea of, oh, if you're visually impaired, that's a disability where you can't do anything. And I think both of those things are, are probably not good perspectives to have. And I think it's a good to have a balanced approach to thinking about it. So what do you all think about that? I agree. I think it's really important for those of you out there who are parents that it's your individual experience with your individual child and how much that visual impairment is going to keep them from having the same experience as other siblings or how they participate in activities. We want for you to have high expectations of your child, to not let their blindness stop them or their visual impairment to stop them from doing amazing things because it shouldn't. But also there are going to be limitations sometimes and you have to be safe. Feel that way, Jenny? Yeah, definitely. I think empowering them that they can do anything, they may just have to do it in a different way. For example, when our daughter was going into elementary school, I wanted her to be able to play and have fun on the playground and do whatever she wanted. So we practiced before she went to school, we would go to the playground and play. And she knew that playground. So our first meeting and the teacher was like, well, what about on the playground? I'm like, she's good. You know, you need to know that she can't see at all out of this one side. So we wanna make sure that she doesn't hurt anyone else either. Um, but just different ways that you can keep empowering them, but say like, hey, let's take this step so that you can do what you want to do. I like hearing your perspective about that because there are things I can tell that you did to help her to be able to do what everybody else was doing. Then also acknowledging with the teacher that there are limitations to what her vision allows. Those things I imagine are probably not going to change. And so that's, I think, 
where that balanced approach comes in, where you had a high expectation for her to be able to play on the playground with everybody else while still being realistic about what she is able to access in terms of what is out there in the moving environment like that that you can't control. So I like that example that being kind of like a, a real life situation. Based that just in our schoolwork as well, we get testing back and her reading is always lower than other things or we get a report card talking about her fluency that she can't read as fast as the other kids. She can read when she has the right equipment, she can read with some enjoyment. It does make her very tired. But yes, we expect her to be able to read, but we know that she is never gonna hit that words per minute. She should never be timed on that. So, and just continuing to say, yes, we expect her to keep up with the level of grade work that she's doing, but we understand that this part of it won't happen. Mm -hmm. And that's a great example of advocacy, right? I think most parents, when they bring that little baby home, or when they find out their child has a visual impairment that wasn't on their list of things that they were gonna do is to be an advocate. But, But the truth is, and I think this book is all about advocacy, is that when you're in the field of visual impairment, you do have to advocate. And here's some of the good things that can happen. So one is we've got kids in their neighborhood schools now, right? They don't have to go to residential schools anymore because parents advocate. We have legislation now that shows that driverless cars or electric cars now have to make sounds so that people with visual impairment can hear them on the street because it's nice for us that they're quieter, but it's but if you can't see, uh, it, it's a problem. I thought this was a great story in Michael's book, was that he talks about how organizations have advocated in the past to get Braille on money. And we still don't have Braille on money, and I'm guessing we're probably never gonna have Braille on money. And that's probably because we're not using money so much anymore so most foreign countries that i go to don't even have money anymore everything is cashless and i'm sure we'll be going that way as well you use your phone to pay things most phones are accessible so there's sometimes you're trying to do the right thing and then it's just obsolete it's not important anymore but here's one last advocacy thing that is definitely still important. In this book, he talks about this, and I know that the research shows this, that even though our children are some of the most educated and best educated in the country, individuals with visual impairment are the least likely to be able to get a job, and that's not okay. So the way we can stop that is to advocate, of course, to demonstrate can-do attitudes and what our kids can do, and to continue to advocate to companies how they can support people with visual impairment. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So would you recommend this book to others? How did it make you feel? Let's do some closing thoughts. Obviously, I would recommend it, seeing as I recommended it to you all. Yeah, it was good. It was an interesting read from perspective I don't always get to hear. Since you and I work in early intervention page, you don't always get to hear from the adult side of things. So, yeah, I would. Yeah, me too. And reading it, it was 
pretty emotional, even reflecting about what I was doing on 9-11 and to think that Mike was doing something completely different. And it was life-changing for us all, but, you know, extremely life-changing for him and traumatic. And I also love being able to hear his life story from birth to adulthood in the ways that he grew and he learned to advocate for himself and in the ways he experienced the world. So sounds like we would all recommend it. Be sure to send us your thoughts it's in the survey. We'd love to hear what you think about the book too. And we have it linked in the show notes as well so you can access it very easily. Thank you so much for listening to Feeling This Life. Did you know that this podcast is actually part of a research study? By filling out the survey in the show notes, you can help our community learn more about how podcasts impact those who care for children who are blind and visually impaired. So please take a look when you're able. Also, if you'd like to support us in making more episodes of Feeling This Life, look for the donation link in the show notes. The show notes also include links to resources related to today's episode and ways to get in contact with us. Please join us again next time for another episode of Feeling This Life.